Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Eat Sleep Work Repeat, a podcast about workplace culture, psychology and life. Hello, I'm Bruce Stately. We're in an interesting moment with regards to AI right now, because for most of us, it's something of a parlour trick, something that we've seen create images of the Pope in bling or summon up meal planners for fussy eaters that we'll never use. But we've not really seen how it can impact our jobs. I did a presentation a couple of weeks ago at a conference. They phoned me a few days before and said, would you come and talk for 10 minutes about how AI will impact work? And it it came out as a garbled mess. There was so much to say that actually deciphering it and making sense of it is a bit of a jumble. I love the fact that Zaha Hadid architects are using it, using DALI, which is the open AI tool, to imagine what Zaha Hadid buildings would look like. Uh, Their founder passed away a few years ago, and so they're using the tool to almost imagine and and create her vision. I love it. Uh, I love the fact that other organisations are using it to initiate ideas or help them write briefs. But there's so many huge claims, and I don't think for many of us we've seen a direct application of how it's going to impact the Monday to Friday. Along the way, we are seeing people who are looking at these things in aggregate suggest that there is going to be a huge impact. An MIT study said, and look, these these links to all of these things in the notes if you're interested. An MIT study said that knowledge work could become 37% faster and, and more effective simply by using chat GPT, which is currently just an an early out-of-the-box product. A study by GitHub found that software developers using GitHub Copilot were 55% faster. Anecdotally, I've heard the same from software developers and small startups. They've told me how it's, it's transforming the development process. And in aggregate, there's certainly a chance that we're not thinking about the the long-term implications of these things. The economist Paul Krugman this week said that if AI is able to deliver an additional 1.5% of growth per year, and based on those two previous pieces of research, that's not impossible, then the economy should stop worrying about national debt as a percentage of GDP because there's going to, we're going to be propelled into growth and it's not going to be an issue. Wow. As a second order effect, that's a really big transformation to the way that we think about the world and politics right now. Of course, Look, you know, he would say, and you can you can read his tweets about it in the show notes, he would say that, look, that's just an extrapolation that enables a thought experiment. But it's one of the things that we're not necessarily thinking about. That's why today's podcast was so important for me to feature. I was speaking at an event and uh, I got the chance to, I was speaking at a Microsoft event and I got the chance to interview a couple of the people who were also speaking. Alexia Cambon is the Senior Director of Modern Work Research at Microsoft. She's got my dream job because in aggregate, she's able to delve into just some of the anonymized data of how people are using different parts of the team suite, how they're using different Microsoft products to try and understand if we can spot stories in there. Nick Hederman was known to me. He contacted me a couple of years ago. He's a senior director of modern work at Microsoft. He contacted me a couple of years ago. I occasionally get people, listeners reach out and and Nick got in touch and I was blown away by it actually. He was He was trying to work out how he could create culture for his own team by creating team level agreements, thinking about how they could 
uh, they could reimagine how they were working. And, and he was speaking at this event. So the opportunity to sit down and talk to them was thrilling for me because they go specifically into how AI tools are about to hit your work desktop and the direct implications of them. I'll give you some examples. And, you know, look, I really want this to be clear. This wasn't a paid feature. I was able to ask anything I wanted. So it was all about trying to pick their brains and, and make sense. But for example, um, I was really struck a few years ago that one organisation, and you might have heard of Bridgewater Associates. It's Ray Dalio's company. It's a, it's a hedge fund that operates with radical transparency. And one of the things that they took as a leadership decision a few years ago was that they were going to strictly control the people who attended meetings, but they were going to video every meeting and allow anyone to witness what happened in it. So it was like this attempt to achieve maximum efficiency in the meeting, but total transparency, so that if you were anxious about what was discussed there, you could watch it all take place. Well, one of the things we talk about today really is a direct ability to bring that to your own business and you know thinking about what the implications of that are I think will be really stimulating so you're going to hear that I was blown away by some of the stuff we discovered not only are Fridays proving to be much smaller in terms of office footfall but we're also witnessing that Fridays are much smaller in terms of the number of meetings that was something that I hadn't really taken on board till today's discussion and along the way, I think we're going to just get an interesting perspective on some of the ways that we think about work. There's a really interesting point of contrast, I think. Right now, we're witnessing day by day this strange moment we're in where tech firms who we'd always regarded as probably the, the pioneering adventurers uh, for flexibility and for working in a more enlightened way. Each day right now, we're getting headlines of Google demanding more returns to the office, Amazon demanding more returns to the office. In fact, interestingly, con to contrast that, Microsoft, who you're about to be dazzled by what they're doing in terms of the, the world of work and AI, are really avowed that if we're going to make any of this work, flexibility needs to be at the heart of the way that we're working. For me, it's such an intriguing contrast and Look, I, I, I'm so I'm, I'm so captivated, actually, to see how all of this is going to play out. How is culture going to develop in this new transformed world? I think you're going to love this discussion because I certainly have not heard anything like this elsewhere. I think it's a discussion that is very meaningfully exploring the, the practical uses of AI and what it's going to directly impact. My view right now is that organisations need to be thinking about how they can onboard this quickly. The advantage right now is going to be to organisations to think about how they can assimilate some of these things into their working practices. I think what you're going to hear demonstrates how easy that's going to be. So let's jump in. Uh, this is my discussion with Alexia Kamban, Senior Director of Modern Work Research at Microsoft, and Nick Hederman, who's the Senior Director of Modern Work. I wonder if, to, to kick off, uh, you could both introduce yourself and say what you do. Absolutely, yeah. I'm Alexia Cambon. Um, I'm a senior director at, of modern work research uh, at Microsoft. And what I do essentially is research the future of work. And that means asking very big questions about how work is changing and what that means for employees. And I'm Nick Hederman. I lead our modern work business here in the UK. And I, I was thrilled to have the opportunity to chat to you because I guess for, for me and for a lot of people, Microsoft products are now their main interface with how they do their work it, to an extent that even more so than before because of the increase in the amount of virtual meetings, teams, interactions. And so people are doing a lot of their work inside Microsoft products. How much of people's work do you think is now enclosed within software walls? Well, if you think about this new flexible world of work, you essentially need this digital fabric to connect everyone together, whether they're working in the office or whether they're remote or perhaps anywhere, quite honestly, as long as you've got an internet connection. Um, so technology is now very much uh, a requirement to connect an organisation together. And to your point, Bruce, we've seen immense growth in the usage of Teams since the pandemic. Now over 300 million users globally. And many of our customers here in the UK talk about just how critical it is to their operations. 
not just for instant messaging and, and digital meetings, but increasingly using it for the day-to-day tasks, bringing in workflow, automating things into the flow of work, because that's where people are typically spending their time and users want that capability within their team's environment. So it's becoming a business critical tool now. I think one of the really interesting things as we've been doing the research on this to Nick's point about this era of flexible work is this idea that the office used to be one of our most consistent experiences of work. It was going into the office. It was being in there from nine to five and being surrounded by other people, you know, at sort of a macro scale. And now what's happening is that the technology we use is now our most consistent experience, probably, Um, you know, those of us who are going into the office are probably not going into the office more than one or two times a week. But we are logging into Teams every single day or whatever the software equivalent it is that you use. And so I think the bar that technology has to meet now to deliver, if that is the most consistent experience that employees are having, is, is very, very high. And, and you say that you look at the, the future of work and how, how it's developing. I wonder to, to what extent you're actually observing what people are doing. The question I, I'm intrigued about is that someone told me that they'd observed that they'd moved companies and they'd observed that the culture was more connected in the company they moved to that had teams than the previous company that used Zoom and Slack. And the point that they made was that when someone came off a meeting, it was intuitive that you would immediately pick up a thread and you'd start messaging each other because you're in the same Teams interface. Whereas when with Slack... He hadn't witnessed it, but because there was that disconnect, um, it wasn't as, as seamless. Look, you know, and, and I guess that's a positive thing in the in the defensive teams. But I'm just interested whether that's something that you've observed, or whether even that's something you'd go and look at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what's important in what you just mentioned is the effortlessness of the experience, right? And I think that's what a lot of us miss about being in the office and in person is that it feels effortless when we're. Well, it doesn't always feel effortless. <laughs> you know, when we're sitting in the same space, we can turn around and nudge each other and say what's on our mind and we can read body language and we can pick up on visual cues. So that effortlessness has to translate in the tools and the technology that we use. So it makes a lot of sense to me that the ability to move seamlessly between those apps is is very important for users. And I think you just picked up on a, a point of design and really principle for Microsoft you know we're a platform company we build things that are interoperable and so take for example the M365 suite which is inclusive of teams the the experiences are interconnected you know I can be in a teams meeting and then easily pick up a document that I was writing earlier bring that into the chat or PowerPoint present it live um, you know integrate my OneNote there's flow between all these applications so to your point it's about the 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 ecosystem of the the day-to-day experience and all the different tools within it that are all interconnected to get the best experience for the user top line you mentioned that there's been a, a big increase in the amount of teams customers has there been a change in the amount of usage i, I remember seeing a statistic in after the first year of the pandemic saying that the amount of teams meetings had more than doubled um what patterns are we seeing now you know, about the amount of meetings, about the amount of messages, about the amount of time that people are spending. Yeah, I mean, we, we look at we look at the uh, the anonymized telemetry data of the tools, and we're seeing a few a few things happening at a at a macro level. So, uh, to start with, many meetings are now taking place at the start of the week, about forty three percent on Monday, Tuesday, uh, Friday, very much dropping off. Um, so that's that's different to before the pandemic, where meetings in, 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 in M365 were pretty evenly spread across every day of the week. Uh, we're seeing a rise of the shorter meeting. Uh, so the 15-minute meeting is, is, is taking more and more precedence in, in day-to-day, day-to-day work. And people are spending more time in M365. So if you come back to the, the conversation about what's the benefit for the employer, as people are reducing their time commuting, they're spending more time getting work done. And so that's a clear, a clear benefit. I'm fascinated with that Friday thing. So so Friday's got a different feel, even because I guess the thing we already knew was that if if people have got one choice, it's they generally elect not to go into the office on a Friday. But you're witnessing there's even a different pattern in, in usage, yeah. And you wow. can and you can only imagine the types of things that are causing that, like Friday afternoons, no meetings, um, or you know, trying to 
you know, change the environment in which you're in, getting out and about, walking, etc. All sorts of techniques and, and tactics that leaders are putting into place within their organisations. Um, but yeah, we are becoming a very front-loaded working uh, organisation if you look at the average given week. That's so fascinating. And, and so is, are there any other things that are revealed by the data? You, you mentioned that you're able to see data in aggregate there. It, is that the sort of thing that teams are delving into their own usage and, and observing that for themselves? Yeah, I mean, I'll, um, I'll ask Alexia just to talk a little bit about what we're calling this digital debt in a second. Yeah. Um, but we've definitely seen a huge rise in the number of meetings and interactions people are being faced with on a daily basis because, uh, you know, they're no longer in the physical location together. Therefore, these platforms are becoming the means in which they're communicating, the means in which they're sharing, uh, the means that they're collaborating together as a team. Uh, and that can feel pretty overwhelming as well. That's some, one, of the, one of the aspects you have to consider as you move towards this more flexible way of working. We just released our Work Trends Index report uh, in early May um, and that in tandem with the anonymised product telemetry research that we do um, is a survey that goes out to 31,000 respondents um, and asks them about what they're experiencing at work and there were some really interesting findings that came out of that survey and one of these um, is what Nick mentioned this concept of digital debt and I think this is a feeling that we, we can all relate to uh, at the end of our day where it still feels like we owe something right that we're in debt and what we saw in particular that popped out in the data um, was this concept of a time and energy deficiency um, Basically, 64% of employees said to us they struggle um, with not having enough time and energy in their day to get their work done. And, you know, I think we need to think about time and energy as the two most finite resources that your employees have. You know, what, what they spend their time on, and that's a limited amount um, of time, you know, that's 40 hours in a week. Uh, ideally, <laughs> uh, and what they spend their energy on, which is also a limited. And you need both. You need time and energy to do your work. And 64% of employees are telling us they don't have enough. And we saw that that actually causes real adverse impact on organisations. So we saw that those 64% of individuals were twice as likely to leave their organisation and 3.5 times as likely to say they struggled to be innovative and to think strategically. So that time and energy deficiency is something organisations need to think very carefully about and take very seriously. And a huge part of the research was, was trying to analyse, well, what is causing this time and energy deficiency? So when we look at that 64% of the population and we compare it to the rest of the population who said, no, we're fine, we have time and energy to do our work, what are the differences? And some of the things that came out were, were pretty fascinating. Tell, tell us more, tell us more. I was, I was waiting for the prompt, <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> I mean, one of them that came out um, was kind of what I'm calling the, the broken meeting, which, you know, Nick sort of alluded to. Um, you know, we saw that uh, that group of people who suffered from that time and energy deficiency, they were twice as likely to say they struggled with having too many meetings. Um, and when we sort of did the deep dive on, on meetings and what is problematic about meetings is we saw that they're not really be, being used for their most ideal purpose. So, you know, we asked respondents, what, what makes a meeting worthwhile joining? And the number one reason that came out was if I'm going to receive information that will help me do my job better. And that came out over, you know, making decisions, giving feedback, advancing my career. And when we think about asynchronous communication and what we want, you know, emails to do, for example, we want those to, to give us the information we need. Meetings should really be a place for collaboration and ideation and, you know, the power of collective thinking. But what's happening is employees are joining one hour meetings to get one minute insights. And that is... An, an inequity, an inequitable use of time and energy, if you will. And, and so do you look there, do you, from your perspective, do you sit there thinking, OK, this is a problem we can solve? This is a problem technology can solve? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's We're the whole that point of doing the research, I would <laughs> yeah. say, is yeah. to be able to uncover places that we are uniquely positioned to help right. and to understand the shape of work and, and, and how we need to develop the mechanisms, which will be partly fueled by technology, but also partly fueled by leadership practices and, and culture. This is a prime opportunity for how artificial intelligence can help a worker on their day to day 
tasks. You know, a lot of people complain about the drudgery of work and the way that Alexia just described. Um, and, and wouldn't it be amazing if you could have some assistance in, in, in all of those tasks from, you know, just thinking about basic analysis, uh, finding information, um, you know, getting ready for the week and planning your time, maybe even a little bit of creativity work, getting, getting you off to a good start as opposed to starting with a blank sheet of paper. How about having a great draft? So you can go from good to outstanding. Uh, these are all things that we think technology can play a role in assisting. Let's go back to that meeting situation then. So, so how, how would AI solve that meeting situation? Yeah, so specifically what's becoming really interesting with AI-assisted meetings is that the meeting almost sort of becomes like an artefact that you can go back and revisit. And you can prompt AI to tell you what, you know, are the key, t- key takeaways from this meeting? What are the most important things that I need to know? Can you summarize this meeting for me? And that becomes incredibly helpful if you missed a meeting or if you joined a meeting late or, you know, if there's just something in the meeting that you didn't quite understand and were, un- were unable to ask help for in the moment. So specifically, this would be um, Teams transcribes the meeting and summarizes it. Yeah, so the the way it technically works is you turn your transcription on and then the large language model, which is essentially the capability we're seeing our partner OpenAI develop, um, you know, you, everyone I'm sure has heard of ChatGPT. So that that technology we are taking out of the open internet, dehydrating it with all of the um, the publicly available information because it's learned its neural networks, and we're then uh, transposing that into your company tenant and rehydrating it with your data, uh, your graph data. And so in this scenario, in a meeting, you know, that transcript is your company confidential information that's stored as part of your tenant and is, is available as part of the graph. The large language model is then going looking at that transcript and summarizing and looking to try and find ways to make that much easier and quicker to read. In fact, I've been using it now for a while. It's immensely powerful, especially when you're either late to the meeting or if you just want to show people just how powerful the technology is. So when I, with, with customers, I will turn the transcript on and then at the end of the meeting, just simply write into the co-pilot, recap the meeting. And within a couple of seconds, I've got this beautifully well-written summary, which anyone could read and fully understand what we've just been talking about for the last hour. And also recap the actions as well. My goodness, how powerful is that? And, and does, it, does it act in real time? So I guess, is the person running the meeting able to look at the recap that's being laid out? And so they could... You can ask to recap or you can ask questions of that transcript at any time using your co-pilot. Uh, in fact, you can, you can actually, and this comes back to one of the new skills that we're going to need to learn as workers, is how to effectively... Uh, write prompts for your artificial intelligence uh, agent, you know, your your co-pilot. And so the more specific you are in the prompt that you put in, the better the outcome will be. I'll give you an example. I um, was um, doing a customer meeting yesterday and I said, recap the meeting so far. I've got a a, a relatively generic, uh, but very helpful summary. Then I said, recap uh, Jenny's particular section of the meeting so it came back just with her section but it was a little bit um, of a sort of a block of paragraphs it said recap Jenny's section in bullet points and it came back bullet pointed so the more specific you are the better right, the outcome right, right. and so this is going to this is going to require us to think in a different way the way we interact with the technology is critical oh, fascinating <laughs> of course because Jenny is dialing in we know it's her contribution would, would that be any different when you're face to face she was actually in the room with me oh right gosh so Right. It was, and it was the transcript was only on my laptop. As far as Teams was concerned, I was the only meeting participant. So it's even intelligent enough to know wow. that it was Jenny talking. How's that happening? <laughs> okay, okay, that I surprised mean, me. I think when we think about this in terms of because the thing we have to bear in mind constantly, you know, as researchers, is taking stock of how the environment is evolving and whether or not human capability can keep up with that pace. Right. Whenever the environment evolves quicker than humans' capability of keeping up, then you have a classic anthropological problem. And it's been very, I think, I think there's an awareness that this environment is operating incredibly quickly. You know, the, the pace of work has dramatically increased. And so anything that can boost our capability to keep up with that pace alongside the changes that we are making as leaders to maybe slow the pace down through things like meeting free days. That's a very good example of trying to shape the environment to not have so fast a pace becomes incredibly important. And, you know, to that end, I think 
thinking about global distribution, you know, my, my entire team sits on the West Coast. I can't tell you how incredibly helpful it is for me to now be able to have co-pilot summarize meetings that I cannot join because they're at 11 p.m. or midnight my time and I can log on the next morning and not have to sit through a recording. <laughs> that is an actual change in in how we work and how as as global companies, because globalization is probably only going to continue, right? As a real benefit to 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 our own to our own employee experience, our own well-being, our own engagement and satisfaction with how we work. So as someone who thinks about the future of work, do you think that this advent has come at the right time the, the, what I mean specifically is that um, I guess I'm old enough to, to know when email came on it to everyone's devices you know 15 20 years ago and everyone at the time was very optimistic thinking oh well this will make our time at work much easier because you can deal with emails on the move and actually what happened is that communication just grew exponentially but I wonder if we're in a different moment now where there's such a collective feeling of burnout your data saying that 60% of people are feeling like they're in debt to work um that the moment is such that we might use this technology in a more productive way it, it, it might be a, a step a, a reason for optimism I think that's absolutely right and I think there is a lot more fear in the media about AI than there is in the data you know when we looked at the data we saw yes there is fear about job loss but there is so much more optimism about the potential for AI to alleviate workloads I think it was something like 70% of respondents said they're optimistic about AI's ability to do that for them and you know, I, I personally believe that we have reached a point in time at which if we don't embrace tools and technology that can help us keep up with the pace of work, then then burnout is only going to get worse. And so it's come at a really critical moment in time and we need we need to build this employee AI alliance. We need to do it responsibly and we need to do it strategically and thoughtfully for sure. But I do think thinking about the environmental changes that we've been through over the last decade, uh, you know, one of the key things you just mentioned was was email. It doesn't cost anything to send an email anymore. And that's great, right? Like that is fantastic that the ability to communicate is very, you know, very easy. But what that also means is it's very easy. So I can send anything without it, you know, being inconvenient or hard. So there is no disincentive for me to communicate. And when the opportunity costs of something go down, inevitably you can wind up in a situation where you're faced with information overload. So, you know, I think our ability to be able to cope with information overload needs a boost from tools and technology alongside our own strategic approaches of, of maybe adding back some costs to what to information exchange, right? Of thinking more carefully and intentionally. And one of the things I like to say to myself when I'm in my inbox and I'm really tempted to, to forward an email to Nick or to forward an email to everyone on my team is what if this email cost me 50 pounds to send? Would I send it? Would it be worth that cost? And that's, I think, the intentionality we need to have now is to think very carefully about what we're doing to other people's inboxes. Right. I'm intrigued with that. So you've both played around with these tools and, and talk me through the experience of, of trying these things out. I'm really intrigued as well. Was it an effort to try these things out? Because, you know, I think a lot of us have played around with OpenAI or, or, or ChatGPT, um, but the amount of people who are bringing it to their work at the moment is a, a far smaller subset of that. Is this an effort to bring it in and what's the experience of using it? It, 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 it's relatively intuitive, I'd say, um, because you're faced with someone or something that's is there to help you. So you're going to want to be curious about how that how that can work. Um, there are new skills that you need um, to be able to operate. Um, you need to be very critical about where are the where's the data coming from, where are the sources of the data. Um, now, within your own organisation, it's going to be about looking at what you know departments or people that produce those reports, etc. So making sure they're the right things. Uh, but externally, on Bing, for example, if you're using the open version of of, of AI capability, you need to be thinking about what sources of information it's pulling from the internet. So there's this, there's just this curiosity, this intellectual curiosity that you, you need. You need to look at biases. You need to be really clear about that. And as I said earlier, you need to be really good at thinking about the prompts. Uh, and that's a new skill that I'm learning myself now to think about what what is the outcome I want. Therefore, you reverse the engineer that into the quality of the prompt. Uh, and the more time you spend thinking about that 
the better the outcome is. And then the outcome is so rich and so capable that you just jumped, you've leaped ahead hours of work, quite honestly, to the point where you can then focus on making that thing, that artifact amazing. Whether it's a Word document, whether it's a you know, presentation, whether it's a, an Excel spreadsheet, whether it's an email response. So it's worth investing that time up front to think about what you get, want to, to have the output to be and then, then work on making it amazing. Talk me through timeframes here. So you're trying it out now. When does this? When do you think this will be widely used by everyone? Well, we so the Microsoft's AI strategy um, is is, is can, um, in simplest sense be be put into two buckets. We are, we are working closely with our our partnership with OpenAI. We're taking a bunch of their technologies, uh, which they're building exclusively on the Azure platform, and infusing that into a lot of our products. Uh, in fact, we infused it into GitHub. Uh, we have something called GitHub Copilot that's been around for a while now, actually, for, for quite a few months. And developers are already seeing huge benefits in terms of time saved and efficiency in building their code and building great new applications. Uh, we're seeing it show up in all sorts of other applications as well. We announced uh, a Windows Copilot this week at our, our build conference. We have a secure Security Copilot. We have AI weaved into uh, Viva, which is our employee experience platform. The list goes on. So that's sort of bucket number one. Bucket number two is uh, the uh, OpenAI services alongside a, no- a range of other AI services are now available in Azure. And so when we talk to our customers, they can leverage that capability in the Azure cloud and build that into their own products, into their own solutions, into their own applications that they then subsequently use themselves or with their customers. So that's the simplest way to think about it. So to answer your question, Bruce, the AI capability is live today. You know, if you want to leverage open AI capability in your app, go to Azure, go build it in. It's there, it's ready, it's good to go. Uh, if you want, if you're a developer and you want to experience it in a, in a product that we make like GitHub, it's there in GitHub. Um, specifically within the Office suite and M365 Copilot, we're currently in the early access phases. So we're working with customers to give them early access to test and trial and give us feedback. And we'll be announcing availability at some point uh, in, the, in the future. Along the way, you've mentioned sort of the, the data of things draw on. And, and we've all learned about hallucinations of AI or, or things that go wrong. Does that ever happen on the work interface of it? Do we ever have moments where the meeting summary, you think that's not quite 100% what happened? I've not experienced that thus far. Right now, the idea, I think, of AI being your co-pilot is making sure that it is your co-pilot. And by that, I mean keeping the human at the center, right? Like we need to ensure that when we're using these tools, we are reviewing what co-pilot comes back and serves up as the thing you needed help with. But you, the human, are at the center. You are the one who are receiving and editing and reviewing and ensuring that what it brings you back is correct. Kind of like, you know, if you had an intern who was giving you work back, you know, humans have to be at the center. And I think that's a very important principle um, for for Microsoft and for everyone using that technology uh, to be aware of. And then also we're learning about this as, as we go. You know, I think we're very confident in its capability right now. As Nick said, this will require new skills. It will reshape the way we work. You know, what does it mean if now we have a tool that can intelligently recap meetings? What does that mean for people who maybe didn't need to be in that meeting? Does that mean, you know, meetings just drop off of their calendar significantly? You know, that's the sort of, I think, research that is ongoing and that we need to invest heavily in is what will work look like as a result of these tools. Yeah, I'm, I'm really struck. I remember hearing the culture of one company and they said, our culture is we try and have as few people as possible in meetings, but every meeting was recorded. So like in the previous version. So they used to have you know, video recording units in every room and a time before that that was in every meeting room and that was their approach because they knew that the fewer people they had in the meeting, the more productive the meeting was, the better discussion there was, the the fact there were proper discussions. With the objective of transparency, anyone could go back and review any meeting. And this feels, to a large extent, like it's bringing that, the capability of doing that to every organisation now. I think what's lovely to hear about that example is that's clear leadership in action. There's some thought into the way in which the company operates, its culture, um, and that I think is a wonderful thing. And so technology can only go so far. Um, this also requires really thoughtful leadership um, and and leaders need to be spending time thinking about what are their principles and policies about their new flexible way of working, inclusive of some of the AI technologies. But to build on your 
your point, Bruce, you know, if, if that organization was to record every meeting and it allowed everyone to go back and watch the recordings, well, how about how about this? Go back and just read the summary Absolutely. even better. So the efficiencies that come from what is already sounds like a very well-structured organization could be even greater. So you think just about the productivity gains that could come in that scenario. But I think we also shouldn't forget about the human ego in all yeah. of this and natural human behavior. That's you know, that's my field of research that I'm so fascinated by, which is just like we saw with flexible work and how many leaders felt very confronted by and sometimes triggered by not having people in the office because that was their experience of leadership was being in the office with them and being able to leave in person with visibility. What would it feel like to a lot of leaders if their employees stop attending a lot of meetings because they don't need to and they can get the recap and the summary? You know, will will they suddenly stop recording meetings as a condition for participation, which I don't think is what we want, right? But I think that's the sort of questions that we're researching now that make me really excited. It's as all of this, as all of these new tools and technology get woven into the fabric of work, how is that going to nudge human behavior one way or another? Yeah, and you mentioned along the way there, I'm so fascinated with that, that psychological element of it, really. You mentioned along the way there, meeting-free days. And I remember I chatted to someone last week about meeting-free days, and he said, yeah, I'm not sure my organisation could handle a day a week with people not working. And it was like, he was taking meetings to be a synonym of work. And it's like, you realise, okay, there's a job to be done here to explain. But it's really interesting what you you articulate there that if people stop going to meetings will there be a perception that they're not working or not participating or not interested it's really interesting the second order effects I think that's exactly right and I think when during the pandemic I think we conflated being in the office with being in meetings which is absolutely not the case when we're in the Mm. office we weren't in back-to-back meetings all the time right I think that was an attempt to recreate some form of visibility it was to, to just rely very heavily on a meetings culture. But I think we've seen what that does to, to mental health and to burnout is being in back-to-back meetings, is especially back-to-back virtual meetings, is not, is not ideal to say the least. And I mean, we looked at, um, again, that anonymized product telemetry to look at time, time spent in the M365 suite. And we saw um, over the majority, I think it was Oh, my team's going to be really annoyed that I don't remember the exact stat. It's like the 56 or 57% of time is spent in Teams and Outlook. So, and that's when you take into account the rest of the time is Word, PowerPoint, Excel, et cetera. So if you think about how much time is spent just exchanging information, which is what a lot of email and meetings is, right? It's the exchange of information. Not a lot of time is actually spent on the application of information, which is really what creates business value. Like you need to exchange information for sure, but we're veering heavily on that as opposed to actually sitting down and being creative and applying the insight in tools like, you know, Word and, and PowerPoint and Excel. You've mentioned along the way um, active leadership. When it comes to measuring productivity, it's such a nebulous quality isn't it people are very comfortable saying that whether they feel productive or not but producing any objective measure of productivity is so difficult how do you think all of this advance is going to help us firstly benchmark productivity and below that actually achieve it Mm, it's a it's a great question and i think the starting point is for leaders to make sure that they're measuring people on their output and the impact that they create versus the hours that they work. That's stage number one. And I still think a lot of organizations are trying to get their head around that in this new flexible way of work. Secondly, creating clarity within your organization is absolutely critical. You know, what are the key things we want to get done? What are our objectives as an organization? How are we going to measure those things? And how do we make sure those measures are tangible? Um, you know, there are there are obvious measures of productivity, like, for example, revenue or profit. Um, uh, but there are other things that you can consider as well and that you can measure, but then making sure that those are clearly distributed throughout the organization. So everyone really understands what's my role in delivering those objectives. How am I going to impact those measures of success? And so I think those are certainly steps that leaders will need to take in order uh, to to be able to progress. But having all of that in place and then applying something like AI technology on top then allows you to essentially be able to do the equivalent of A-B testing, you know, in in the months and the years before when we ran our strategy with, with great clarity and a sense of what we're trying to achieve with clear measures. 
these were the results we saw when we applied AI to help us and help individuals in the organization. This is what happened to those results. This is how they accelerated or this is how they changed. And so you can get a real sense of, of how productivity is shifting as a consequence. But you've got to start with, we've got to start with a good platform to be able to do that type of experiment. Can we talk a little bit about Viva? Firstly, the capabilities, how people are using it, where you see that going and developing. It's a very rich platform and it does a lot of different things. Um, you know, we, we designed Viva knowing that we need this digital employee experience that was once physically a thing that you got from the office. Um, but if I were to summarise uh, what it does into, into four things, firstly, it helps the organisation with mission, with purpose, with communication, with culture. You know, how do I, how do I share as a leader what's on my mind? How do I have effective uh, mass communication like town halls? You know, moments where people can ask me anything, where, where I can share stuff digitally. Um, so there's a great, a great sense of um, of work it can do around around that point. Then there's there's an area around sort of professional development and growth. You know, how do I inject learning into the flow of work? How do I access all of the things like you know LinkedIn learning courses or courses that you might have produced internally within your organisation in a very simple way, making it snackable always on, not just having to wait for that annual training course to come to come around. So you're constantly learning, you're constantly pushing yourself and that by the way is a great motivator to keep people retained and excited within your organization we, we always see that in the data uh, the next area is around insight you know what's going on in my organization in an anonymized way just to be clear we're looking at the trends how are different departments talking to each other how are they communicating are we seeing people working longer hours for example are we seeing uh, you know changes in the way or the trends or the patterns of our workforce and and having that data allows you then to be quite specific about things that you want to do to improve and and then track and and, and engage in the, in a process of experimentation so having all of that there is is critical and then the final thing is is really around creating clarity within your organization you know, what are, what are those objectives if you if you I'm sure Bruce you know the OKR framework well but you know what are the objectives and key results and how do you then measure those and distribute those across your organization and then interwoven into all of that is now actually AI capability coming up in all of those things I just described so we're injecting AI into all those different experiences within the Viva suite and we think it's a very rich uh, set of applications for individuals and for organizational leaders to run this new flexible way of working. Yeah, I think Viva has come at a perfect moment in time in which leadership culture is starting to understand that productivity is not the same thing as performance. There is a difference between the two. And often those two things have been conflated. And, you know, Bruce, you and I, we were talking right before this about running and how we're both runners. So I'm going to use a running analogy here, <laughs> which is when you think about running performance, part of performing as a runner is obviously your training, right? It's obviously having a productive training schedule. So getting your miles in at work, that's like getting your stuff done. But every single sports coach in the world will tell you that a core principle of sports performance is the principle of periodization, which is rest and recovery needs to be part of your training cycle. You know, performance is not one upwards line. It's a series of peaks and troughs. You train high to go up to the peak and then you come down and you have your period of rest and recovery. And that's what enables performance to be sustainable over time. And I think that is what Viva does so brilliantly. It's it's understanding that a huge part of employee performance is productivity plus engagement. You know, that is what we're calling the new performance equation. And Viva allows you to get insight into both of those factors. And as a leader today, I don't think you can neglect either one of those. Yes, you know, understanding whether or not your employees are being productive is hugely important. But sometimes employees also need non-productive time. You know, when I, when I go out for a run in the middle of the day, that to me is a hugely important part of my performance at work because, you know, that gives me a break from the screen or that's where I get my most creative ideas or that just simply is good for my mental health and my mental health is essential to my performance. So I think Viva is coming at a moment in time where we see that performance is a holistic concept and being paranoid about productivity, which was another big research uncovering for us last year, is not going to do you many favours as a leader. So for a leader, it's an opportunity for you to check in with some key metrics of how your team are actually working but how they're feeling as well and can enable you to take a, a, a snapshot of that over time. Yeah, in a way that's anonymized, obviously, and yeah. respectful of yeah. uh, employees' need for boundaries. Because I think that's also another thing that we understood during the pandemic is the blurring of work-life boundaries is not something that everyone enjoys 
but at the same time, work is a big part of your life and how you feel at work is very important. Tell me this, as you're sort of projecting forward, the people I know who've used AI tools in software development say it's transformational. It's, you know, it adds 50, 60% capability to the, to the work they're doing. They've got a lot faster. You know, I've spoken to people who've spoken euphorically about it. Do we expect the same benefit to the rest of knowledge work? Are we going to get a dividend from AI? And what would be the criteria that enables us to take advantage of that? Yeah, I mean, essentially you're asking when it comes to productivity, right? The, the classic factors are quality at speed. So can I produce an output of high quality faster than I could without that tool. And early signals suggest that that is the case, particularly Copilot in in GitHub. There's a famous study that was done on that that demonstrated real productivity gains. You know, I think if you look at some of the studies that have been done on ChatGPT thus far, there's a famous MIT study on that, um, shows similar very promising indicators because I think this is another thing that we uncovered in the work trend index survey is the blank page is a real villain (laughs) I like to call them my work villains the broken meeting and the blank page and the information labyrinth those are the three work villains that we need to solve for and the blank page comes especially in times where you don't have enough focus time and you don't have time to reset between work tasks. And that also came out in the data as something over 60% of employees are struggling with. So the ability for generative AI to help you overcome the blank page and essentially give you a head start on whatever it is you are struggling with within that text means that you will be able to up-level your performance and your quality output significantly because you're not starting from zero, right? You are starting from five or 10 and that will enable you to get to 100 a lot quicker. So, you know, as a researcher who is actively studying that, the the productivity promise of AI, I'm feeling pretty confident that it's going to do a lot for us. It feels like such a thrilling time. I'm kind of dazzled because the deal that Microsoft did with OpenAI was only concluded last year, wasn't it? And and so to have this range of progress so quickly is, is an illustration of how quickly the, the field's moving, I think. For sure, 100%. And, you know, I think it's incredibly impressive to see the speed at which we're, we're grasping these concepts. Um, you know, the questions that we're asking, the progress that we're making, the emphasis on responsibility within that pace as well. I think that is a very important thing for Microsoft within the research community that I work in. It's at the forefront of everything we do. It's, you know, responsible AI. So yes, it is moving quickly, but responsibly. If there were any f- concluding things, what would you, as someone, as, as two people who immerse yourself in this field, what advice would you give to people who are maybe wondering how they could take advantage of this going forwards? Well, I think it starts with embracing flexibility. That is the new standard um, for any organisation that thinks they can lead in the pre-pandemic way. Uh, they're going to be ultimately deluded. You know, they will lose talent and they will lose competitive advantage over time. So, so a starting factor here is just getting used to this new flexible way of operating. Layered on top of that, you then need to think about your digital tools to be able to support that flexible way of working. And we've discussed some of them today, Bruce. So making sure that you've got those woven into your organisation, that everyone is enabled with them, that they're democratised from information workers through to the front line, those that are in the office, those that are working remotely, for synchronous meetings and moments as well as asynchronous working as well so there's a whole set of principled approaches to the tooling that's required and then just being really clear about uh, you know where the organization is going and then how could some of this newer technology that we've been discussing especially artificial intelligence help to improve employees and, and give them more time to be able to refocus on on creating value ultimately and i think with a with a happy engaged workforce who's got the capability and the, and the tools to really accelerate you'll see the results in the bottom line. There'll be a direct correlation. I want to go back to this idea of time and energy because I really think it's a very useful framework to think about AI in. And I am confident that AI is going to help refund time and energy at a scale that we've not seen before and that we desperately need. And I think as we think about the investment organizations need to make in time and energy, you know, as a leader, when it comes to time, you're basically looking at either eliminating employee time spend on tasks of low value and that don't matter or accelerating time spend 
So making them faster at the things that do matter. And when it comes to energy, you're trying to ensure that you're either preserving employee energy, so making sure the work that they do doesn't make them more tired, or you're trying to boost energy. So making sure the work that they do makes them energized, makes them happy, makes them excited. We've only ever really looked at AI from a time spend elimination point of view and from an energy preservation point of view. And that is essentially what automation is. You know, it, it frees you up to do other things. It eliminates time spend. And that is super important, super helpful, super interesting. You know, automation has changed our work in many ways. I am so much more interested in how AI is going to do all of those other things. So how it's going to boost your energy levels, how it's going to accelerate your time spend. That to me feels like an incredible place to be in. If you think about what that means for performance, if not only can I do something faster, but I can get more joy from it, you know, that is going to be a whole new era of work. I've loved that discussion. It's such a such an intriguing moment in time. And yeah, the, the fact that our jobs could well be transformed by these, uh, these two new technologies is a thrilling prospect. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bruce. Cheers, Bruce. Thank you to Alexia and Nick. I've included links to some of the things that Alexia mentioned along the way. So these, that GitHub productivity research, there's an MIT piece of research. You're going to see that in the show notes. For me, the, the clarity of that discussion was really helpful. The idea that, you know, Alexia talked about some of the big problems, some of the, the, the big villains of modern work, the blank page, the broken meeting, the information labyrinth. Actually, I think they're all incredibly relatable. Getting a first draft of something done is probably one of the most powerful things we can do. So albeit that we've probably seen critics saying that AI is producing undifferentiated bland text. Actually, sometimes having a blank page filled with an outline that you can then add colour and sparkle to couldn't transform the, the amount of time that work takes. I love that discussion. I honestly am so grateful. And, and like I say, um, the insight that Alexia and Nick have got, I think is something that I was delighted to get insight into. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get more of this or hear more of this discussion, best place to go is top of the show notes. There's a link to the newsletter. I've been Bruce Daisley. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 